gentlemen, the overlap is back, but we changed things up a little bit this time. And uh, instead of doing it remote, Rihanna and I are finally here in person. So we're bringing it back to you on our Champions League review of the first match week of the Champions League group stage. Rihanna, man, I haven't seen you in forever. Yeah, I'm uh, currently sitting on, laying on Elias' bed like um, Rose in Titanic waiting for Elias to paint me like one of his French girls, basically. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I've missed Rian a lot, and uh, now he's sprawled himself across my bed. So uh, I don't really know what to uh, what to make of that anymore. But no, it's, it's been great. Um, glad Rian can finally make it up. It's here for the weekend, so we're going to hang out a little bit, um, grab some food later, um, just hang out. But we want to record this podcast for you guys, get it out before then. Um, cause we, had a, we had a wild week in the Champions League. Great start coming back to Europe, and man, I miss this competition. I really miss it. But oh. I'm I'm also scared because I know Barcelona are just not going to win it <laughs> this year. <laughs> it's just not even not even worth my time. <laughs> but it's it's you know it's one of those things in Europe that everyone loves. So I'm happy to have it back. Yeah, big big fire big fireworks this week. Um, but really, this competition from the very group stage draw. We knew that we were going to have a great season in terms of the Champions League. When something that we forgot to mention during our Champions League draw episode was the Man United legend, his appearance, Eric Cantona, at the draw. Um, they brought on stage, and to be honest, he kind of looked like uh, looked like one of those hobos you'd see outside of um, back in Penn at Wawa when we'd. Whenever it'd be very late at night and uh, there might be someone there trying to tell you a story about their life or something. This is what Eric Cantona basically looked like. And he came on and just had a magnificent speech in front of the whole uh, Champions League crowd there. To quote it right now, he starts. He basically talks about um, science making people immortal. So I'll go into the full, the full quote right now. So I sit by saying, as flies to wonton boys are we to the gods. They kill us for sport. Soon the science will not only be able to slow down the aging of their cells. Soon the science will fix the cells to the state. And so we will become eternal. Only accidents, crimes, wars will still kill us. But unfortunately, crimes, wars will multiply. I love football. Thank you. Rian, that was, that was beautiful. I mean, I don't know what else to say. He's, I guess he's become a poet <laughs> now, Eric Cantona. Basically, ever since he kicked someone in the back of their head for uh, jeering him at a United game, he's apparently come, become some kind of philosopher and this was actually just an unreal thing. I, 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 I genuinely think that he's suffering in the head. Like, there's no other explanation. Nah, come on. Maybe he was just high, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I would respect him. He was a very bored old man now. Right, but, like, at his age, if you're just saying stuff that doesn't... Man, it doesn't add up. Like, it Only just doesn't. accidents, crimes, and wars will still kill us. <laughs> I unfortunately, love they will all multiply. He does love football. <laughs> <laughs> On another note, I love football. <laughs> so that was that was, I guess, the introduction to this year's Champions League, um, and it it was concerning to say the least. Oh, <laughs> so I don't really know if there's anything else in the Champions League that's going to top that. Um, maybe it was 
the Group A game that just saw Real Madrid yeah. practically torn to shreds. Actually, yeah, let's you know what? Let's get into it, right? So we're going to start off with Group A. Um, Group A featured PSG, Real Madrid, Club Bruges, and Galatasaray. Um, obviously, the biggest game of not only this group, but the entire Champions League group stage for match day one was this game. Um, wh- what happened? <laughs> so, uh, to preface this, I will say I fell asleep uh, for the second half of this game. Not because I didn't think I think it was, or I thought it was boring. I was genuinely sick, but I woke up, saw the scoreline, and I texted Rian, um, and I was I was real shook. So, yeah, what what happened? So, um, result 3 nothing for PSG at Parc de Prince with no Neymar, no Mbappe, no Edison Cavani. So, we saw Mario Riccardi's first start for PSG, which he was very good. <laughs> he, was, he was really good. He, he, didn't, good he didn't score. He didn't score, but he was pretty instrumental in the first goal where uh, with Di Maria, he has basically, he gets the hockey assist, basically, for that goal. Um I mean, and that's just where it started. Obviously, uh, Courtois had some trouble <laughs> being able to save at his okay, near I, post, which I, was hilarious, obviously. I do think that that goal is savable, right? It is. I might have a controversial opinion on this, but I don't actually entirely blame him for that. That's a hard ball to get down that's for. That's fair, yeah. I, it's I it's can't, a pretty hard ball to get down honest, for. To be honest, yeah, that that is a goal that's saved by most human beings. Um, and it is hard for a giraffe to get their hands down very quickly. So <laughs> I, I, I have to give him, you know, I'm not going to be too upset at him. <laughs> yeah, um, Rion's bias is not at all uh, shocked. No, no. I mean, he he wanted this, right? He he did want the situation. He's he's going to win trophies, obviously. But um, he's not winning a single trophy this year. <laughs> There's just no way. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the best part of his game is that on the other side of the field is Kaylor Navas. The people that all the Madrid fans were very upset about him being basically forced out right, by uh, right. by Florentino, right? So so that's the first goal, and it just doesn't get any better from basically from that point on. PSG are dominating the game. You have Di Maria score again with a just awesome goal. He, he really he destroys. He, he really destroys up. his former teams a lot. He really steps up. He's he's actually such a great Champions League player. Like yeah. he really does step up to the occasion. Oh yeah. Um, which is just you know not a lot of people do that. So right. And like for someone that is probably going to lose his starting spot once everyone else is healthy. Like it's. He's always well, good in Champions League. Will he? That's a conversation for later. But uh, I think I think that could be an interesting conversation or a, a tougher decision than many people think for Thomas Tuchel. I, I don't think it's as clear cut. But yeah, I mean the obvious <laughs> the obvious placement is yeah you put the front three back together and yeah. it works out right. So I don't I don't necessarily you know think that he's gonna start. But I think it's much easier said than done to say like oh yeah he's gonna return to the bench yeah. once those three are back. But things the most. Outside of, outside of basically from the first goal on, just getting dominated in terms of the goals, right? Madrid were dominated in every part of the field. Like, um, I mean, it wasn't close at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had you know Hazard. He has basically one good chance, and he just puts the ball wide of the right the um, the right post. And after two nil, Bale 
scores a really good goal, but it was it literally hit off his hand and dropped down perfectly <laughs> for him to be able to chip it over yeah, the keeper. Yeah. Like that one was like that was an obvious. That was one of the most blatant handballs. Right. There is that was not like a <laughs> accidental. It's the only reason that the ball yeah, dropped so yeah. well for him to be able to do that. But, but it was it was a good use of VAR. Regardless yeah, of, of course, what you of think, course. It was of like, course, yeah. I don't think anyone saw that and said, yeah. "Oh my god!" Like, but then you look back and you're like, "Oh, that one was yeah, that one was definitely obvious." But the the most concerning thing is they got absolutely destroyed in the midfield. Yeah, the midfield of um, of Gay Idrissa Gay, former Everton player, who they picked up this in this uh, transfer window, summer transfer window for I believe it was ten million pounds, unreal yeah, bargain, unreal. Um, him and Verratti just destroyed Cruz and Casemiro. I I don't know what I don't know what's happened to Tony Cruz. Um, yeah, basically the the last time he looked like a world class player was the 2018 World Cup where he where he was basically <laughs> Germany's only good player when they got knocked out of the group stage. Yeah. Um, since then, rough season in 2018, obviously. Very. And then this season is just. I mean, he he got played around the park by. I mean, the energy of of PSG's midfield was, was just, but that was the thing they were pressing so high. They really looked like a German team, and obviously Tuchel, being a German coach right. and being a former Dortmund coach, they really yeah. looked like very similar to um, how Klopp plays uh, with his sides yeah. in terms of very high pressure. And Nadrusi Gay was just perfect for that. He was he was pressing high and. He was much better on the ball than I remembered him. That's I don't I did not remember him being so good on the ball, but he he had some he had some beautiful touches, especially for uh, Di Maria's second goal. He had a, a pretty good. He's the one who got the assist on it. But just every part of the field, they were getting destroyed, and nothing nothing typified that performance better than PSG's third goal. Where, oh yeah! Oh yeah! Where Di Maria plays a beautiful pass into Mounier, and Mounier plays a one-two <laughs> with Bernat, who's the other fullback, <laughs> right? And and then they score third. And and I told Elias, I texted him, I was like, it could have been so much more. It could have been five or six. Yeah. Like it, it was the second half for Madrid was it was, it was embarrassing. Embarrassing. It was embarrassing. Yeah. It was. It was like it was very similar to. Arsenal Watford in that second half where where it looked like it looked like no one on Madrid wanted the ball. It looked like people were scared. It, yeah. They just it was again, it was disappointing. it was unacceptable for a team of Madrid's. Yeah. I'll use the word again. Unacceptable. Yeah, and I think every paper in Madrid, every fan in Madrid, everyone in Spain for that matter would agree with you. Um for outside of Barcelona, right. But like so here's here's the thing with this game. Um when I went back and I looked at the second half highlights, I was shocked by how I was shocked by how well PSG performed in their tactical setup compared to how Real Madrid countered it. So basically, I think this this was the key part of the game, and this is why Real Madrid were overrun. PSG set up in a four one four one formation when they were not in possession, right? So you have your back four, you have one holding um, midfielder, which pretty much was just Marquinhos at that point, um, and in front of him was pretty much the whole attacking line in one very flat line, but they pivoted, and you had a point person in the striker, whoever that might have been. And so what happened was, say someone like Carvajal 
um, or Mendy gets the ball at the fullback position, right? Because usually, because they pretty much can't even play during that game directly through Tony Cruz and Casemiro because they were totally they were man marked the entire time because you put the two in the the second four line um, in the midfield. So who do you play if you're if you're Varane? Who do you play to? Right, you can only go wider. So Varane plays the ball at Carvajal. Thomas Tuchel then says, "We're gonna leave." Whoever was marking, say, Casemiro, right, man marking, go to Carvajal. You cut off with the man on that's on your left that's pressing any channel outside of going to the middle. So you pretty much, if you're Carvajal, you're staring down two PSG players. You have no outlet but going back to Varane, and you're totally overrun because Tony Kroos is not running back to, to help you out. Casemiro is Casemiro is going to pick up a yellow card for running, for that matter. Um, and... James is not one to drop deep. He's a more attacking option. So at that point, Thomas Tuchel says, we have you, right? Like we, All you do is pin them in one quarter, and you'll get the ball back, and that's what happened the entire game. <laughs> that, that, was, that was the crazy thing, was just how they could not, they could not break out of the press at all. A team, like Real Madrid, they, they obviously really missed Modric in this game. Very that, much so. That, that, was, that was sorely... Um, Obvious, really. Uh, they really miss the Modric. They really miss some kind of link between the midfield and attacking line. But again, it was like it was so easy to get through the midfield. They were all over the place. They, like Cruz and Casemiro had no sort of good organization once PSG had the ball and was coming at them. They had they were just all over the place. So yeah, I don't think anyone was impressed with the way Madrid played. Um, they never shot on target the they, entire game. Right, outside of, I guess, Bills, like handball. Yeah, yeah right. but they didn't, they didn't have a shot on target. That's the first time in, <laughs> God, I forget how many years it was. I saw a statistic earlier, but it, it's almost it's like close to a desk, decade or something like that, that they didn't have a shot on target. So this was, I mean, this was abysmal. Like, <laughs> I know Barcelona have had bad performances in Europe, right? But, like, this was, this was up there with terrible performances. And... Real Madrid's away record, even against big teams in the last five years, is really good. Yeah. Like, they've beaten Bayern Munich. They've beaten, gosh, um, who else now that I'm thinking of? They beat uh, Atletico, I believe. Yeah. Juventus, they've definitely beat. Um, so they beat good teams. But, man, I think the the person that this all genuinely falls to as fault is Zinedine Zidane. The, and it's I know it sounds harsh because he came into this job pretty much to save them from last season. But, and again, I understand he doesn't have the players that he wants on top of that. He didn't get Pogba or anything. But, man, you who do you turn to and blame, right? You, this has to fall on someone, and ultimately the manager is responsible. And I'm not saying it's like the only person, like, yeah. well, if nothing, then Zidane, right? I'm saying it was your job to tactically set up this team properly, and he did not do that. He set them up for failure. They were entirely overrun the entire game, and part of it's personnel, but... You have to find options around that. Yeah, I mean they're they're in big trouble this this year. I really I really think they are. I mean, you could still say maybe injuries, whatnot. Maybe when everyone is fully fit. But in all honesty, like this was close to what their starting eleven, like at full strength, is going to be. Right, that front three is that's what it's going to be. Right, this is going to be Bale, Benzema, and Hazard for the foreseeable future, um, and that midfield's. Pretty much gonna it's gonna be Cruz and Casemiro and then uh, Modric. So there was the one difference. Maybe Hamas Hamas probably loses out in that case, right? Probably. Um, 
everything else other than obviously Ramos not being in the game. But you know, I guess I guess this is one where maybe you can make a case he makes a difference, and maybe they don't lose three nil. But they maybe, probably still but, lose but that game. They'd still lose by a lot because I don't think well Ramos, Ramos, whatever he offers a lot of leadership qualities, and I think he would have whipped that midfield into shape a little bit more. I still think that they were doomed to fail. I thought that PSG's energy was all over the place. Like you said, like it shows in the third goal. Like their back line collapsed, and their PSG's fullbacks were playing one twos in the box against Courtois, who was like. What have I done? <laughs> so I don't know. It was it was terrible, and I know we don't want to harp on it too much, but this is this is genuinely really bad for Zidane. Objectively, like putting all bias aside, this is a really bad loss just because the manner that it was lost in against a against a quote unquote big team. So we'll see what what the next couple uh, couple of weeks hold for him because it's not an easy schedule coming up um, this weekend. They play Sevilla away. And in the last couple of years, I don't think they have gotten more than like two points there. So it's uh, <laughs> it's going to be a very very tough couple of days to deal with, especially if they lose um, at Sevilla. And some people were speculating he he could be gone on Monday, but I don't think that'll be the case. Yeah. But you get the the tightrope he's on. Yeah, yeah. And so just rounding up that group um, in the other game, we saw Bruges and Galatasaray play out to a nil nil draw. So that puts Real Madrid. At the bottom of the group after match day one, so <laughs> <laughs> so so the I mean you'll still expect them to you know get their results against Bruges and Galatasaray. Obviously, going to Galatasaray will be hard for any of these teams, but um, you still expect them to to make it out. I don't think we're worried that they're not going to make it out of the group. I'm not. But, yeah, I'm not worried that Real Madrid will make but, it out. But of the it's group. just what the, the grander um, implications of this kind of result and this performance. Really. Right. I wonder how this carries over to the other other games for them quite honestly that's my biggest thing but let's move on to uh group e the big games in this were napoli liverpool and one of our favorite teams in the tournament uh this comp or this year um salzburg beating yeah. out gank my my favorite name team um six two and obviously napoli liverpool napoli squeaking out a win not really squeaking out a win um against liverpool and naples um let's start with that napoli liverpool game um I think Liverpool had chances, but they yeah. they just didn't. They weren't clinical, you know. Yeah, I, I thought it was more or less an even game between the two teams. Um, but you know, the one thing with Liverpool defensively, um, the only place you could say you, that I think has consistently been slightly lacking for them is Alexander Arnold's side. Um, what do you mean? His just his side of the field, oh, like a oh, lot, like gotcha. attacks are coming from that end. Right, but right. obviously he pushes up very, very high, and um, it seems like they're having trouble getting people to come back and help for him. So I mean, it's tough. It's tough. Like this is not. I'm not super worried about them, but from this result, obviously saw the second goal was was a very uncharacteristic mistake from yeah. Van Dyke, right? So you know. Um, this is a that's a massive win for Napoli. That's a massive result Very to big. to get the three points at home against Liverpool. Yeah, you know that that puts them in a great position to finish first in this group. Right, right. I think this this pretty much we didn't we didn't expect Liverpool to like have this fixture be a walk in the park, yeah. right? But I was surprised that they weren't able to at least finish off their chances, um, just because I think they I think it was a 
game of inches, you know? Like, yeah. they missed the post a couple times, and they made stupid defensive errors, and that cost them. That cost them huge in a, in a tough place to go, like Napoli. Um, where I do think Napoli played really well was their defensive structure. Even though Liverpool missed a lot of key chances, I still think Napoli were the much stronger defensive side. I think Koulibaly had a great game. He was absolutely bossing Mo Salah and pretty much Firmino, too, as well. Um, so he did really well in that respect. So I was generally impressed with how Napoli were playing. Um, I think they've picked up a lot of steam pretty much ever since that Juve game, um, which, I mean, was really, really disappointing to see the way it went. But I, I have high hopes for them in this group. Yeah, yeah. Th- like I said, puts them in a great position. And if they can go away and probably get a, get any sort of result at Liverpool, then they're then they should finish top now. They've put themselves basically exactly. in the driver's seat to finish and top. And I don't want to make it sound like Liverpool are all of a sudden like not in the competition or anything, right? Yeah. Like this is no, still, we still these expect still the these to, we still expect these two to, to make it through. Exactly, exactly. It was just one fixture out of six yeah. um, in which we expect them to do decently well um, in the other two games, but Salzburg. Yeah. Man, Salzburg did so, real well. Salzburg, again... Salzburg, the team that has Jesse Marsh as their coach, the first American manager in uh, Champions League history. Jesse Marsh, I know you're listening. Congratulations. <laughs> I, I mean, how, I don't know how it could have started any better. They're 5-1 up at halftime with a hat trick from their 19-year-old um, Erling Holland, who has 11 goals in the first seven games in their in the Austrian league. <laughs> <laughs> he had 11 goals for seven games coming into this. So he's been on fire. Um, they, they just came out and blitzed them. I mean, 5-1 after the first half. It couldn't have started any better. Did you, did you say blitzing them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, yes. did you? Yes, I did. Is that a, <laughs> that is not, is that a nod it no, no, Nope, it was not supposed <laughs> right, to just, be. Not supposed to be. Just, just making sure. <laughs> For all of our history buffs, yeah, no, we're gonna no, let that no. one slide. Sorry, not not trying to uh, not trying to bring any World War II <laughs> memories here. We're but, not meaning to offend anyone, <laughs> but but they came out in the and it's a dream start for uh, for this coach for Jesse Marsh, and it's great to see, obviously, from a um, a U.S. soccer fan here. So good start for them. They put themselves in it. They put themselves. That, they've given themselves a chance. Yeah, they, they they had to win this game. They you know. Ganga's probably the fourth best team on the in this in this group. So so you know they had to win this game to have a chance, and that should give them a lot of confidence. They're not going to be afraid to go to Liverpool or go to, no. to uh, Naples and play Napoli. So it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to watch them for sure. And I can't wait to see Jesse Marsh at Liverpool at Anfield, you know, or in Naples. Those are huge fixtures for any coach. Excuse me, let alone any American coach yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. coaching in Europe. So I'm I'm really happy for him, and I can't wait to see what the rest of the Champions League group stages hold for him. I don't think either of us expect Salzburg to get out of the group, but it's an incredible experience to be coaching in the Champions League and, and playing the way that they are. They're very direct. They're very route one type team, um, but I'm impressed with their, their ability to be clinical on the ball. Um, and we... We'll get to this at the end, but we have some some great picks for our top three players this week in uh, in the Champions League, and uh, there may or may not be one on on Salzburg. Um, so, with that, that is Group E. So, moving on to Group D, the other two powerhouses that played in this group: Atletico Madrid, Juventus, 
coming out to a 2-2 last-minute tie. And Lokomotiv Moscow and Bayer Leverkusen uh, with a little bit of a surprise result, I would say. Uh, but let's start off with that big game, Atletico Juve. Um, not as entertaining, I'd say, um, as the PSG Real Madrid game. No, the the last half hour was extremely entertaining. The last half um, hour because that's where all four, all four goals coming. Well, uh, basically the second half actually, the last like forty minutes or so. Yeah, that's where all four goals came. It was um, it was yeah, you know, it was traditionally what you first half was traditionally what you would expect from. Um, Atletico versus Juventus game, although in the again traditionally, but with Sari as the coach of Juventus, you would have expected a little more um, in terms of the attacking side. But um, no, it was wonderful, a wonderful classic fight back. Another game where uh, Atletico have went down two 0 and came back and to get something from it this season. Um, again, showing that fu- the spirit of Cholo, which is just. Unrelenting. I am shocked, like genuinely shocked that this man did not grab his balls again at the very <laughs> end of that game and get fined because that was peak Cholo at its best. Just, yeah. And I loved, I don't know if you saw this quote, but when Hector Herrera scored that last minute goal, he went over to the bench and after the game he said, yeah, I, I went over to go celebrate with the bench because usually I spend a lot of time there. <laughs> so this is a great, great opportunity for him to put himself on the map at uh, in, a, in a very tough game, um, I'm objectively I'm happy that Madrid squeaked out the win or the the tie. Excuse me, um, they almost they almost didn't win at the very end. I will yeah, say, yeah, that. Ronaldo had a, yeah Ronaldo had a great chance to uh, to just absolutely make um, Atletico Madrid's fans cry again at his <laughs> at his at mercy. His mercy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he had a great chance at the end that he just misses wide, and I was watching. Like when watching it, you you would expect it to go right into the corner. Like he he did so well to dribble past like three people, and then takes a shot. And you're like, oh, that's in. Oh my god! <laughs> and, and just I wide. really thought that was going in. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, things were looking good at the begin, at least at the beginning of the second half for Juve. I mean, they went up two 0 and then you think from there, shut up shop, easy done with. But the two goals that Atletico scored were set piece goals, things that you would not think that Juventus would have a hard time dealing with. But you know, um, first goal is basically is basically played to the uh, to the back post to the back left post where um, Jimenez heads it to the other center back Savic, who's in the middle of the goal and and uncovered and uh, scores on that one. And then obviously the 89th minute goal by Herrera is a corner kick. Yeah. So, and some stuff that you would not, especially when you have Chiellini and Delict, you would not expect to be having those problems. But the problem on the second goal was, you know, Juve plays zonal marking on right. um, on uh, corners, which is just a sorry thing in general. And so you have those four people on the four people on the six, and then the job of everyone else is to put a body on the people running in right. and no one puts a body on Herrera and no one puts a body on Jimenez. They actually both go for the ball they at the both, same time. Either one of them it. probably would have scored. Right, <laughs> like, right. So, so that's obviously a problem for them. Um, set piece defending. That's something they're going to have to work on. Yeah. I mean, that was never one of Sari's strengths, yeah. right? The set piece defending or in general structural defending. Um, he was always good with his possession of the ball and his positioning of his midfield and things like that. 
but Juventus are known for defending. So in that position, he he has to step up and and develop some sort of semblance of. I, I'm not saying he doesn't have a semblance of of, def- of a defensive structure, but you have to do it for 90 minutes, right? And it could have been the players taking a nap, which I think was a huge part of it. But even when you look at the players' positioning within the box. That gives me more concern and greater concern than them switching off for a second. Switching off for a second means you're trailing. Right. But if you're not even trailing, then there's something wrong structurally. Um, and yeah. so I think that was, a, that was a big part of it as well. Yeah, and it was disappointing because they defended very well for in open play throughout the right. whole game. So, you know, it, it, that, that's, that's going to be really disappointing for, for Sarri and, and the whole team not being able to walk out of there with three points. Exactly. Especially... Since that's an away match, like that would have been what a like what a great way to start and put yourself in the driver's seat to finish first in the group. So, absolutely, absolutely. Well, that was Group D of or the the big game in Group D. Um, Gotta mention Locomotive. Locomotive winning two one at home to Leverkusen. It was definitely a bit of a surprise, and that puts them exactly. on top of the group. Yeah. So, so somehow. After match day one, <laughs> Locomotive Moscow are in fact going through to the round of sixteen <laughs> in the Champions League. Um, so shout out to them because I I didn't get a chance to watch this game. I will be honest, but any result against Bayer Leverkusen is huge, regardless of home or away fixture. Um, I know they were playing at home, but still, it that's a huge result for any team. So that was generally Group D. Um, group F. The quote-unquote group of death, as we discussed last uh, last time, um, Barcelona Dortmund, an entertaining tie, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was. Dortmund were wasteful. Dortmund were a little wasteful. Yeah. Okay. So he, here are my thoughts on the game. Let's start with Dortmund. Dortmund played very well, hands hands down. Like just shout out to them, very well. I was very impressed with Julian Brandt. Extremely impressed with Jordan Sancho. And Marco Royce is clearly doing very well after his series of years and yeah. years of injuries. The only thing that I thought that they could do better was finish. Yeah, yeah, Royce especially. Royce had, I mean, outside of the penalty, he had multiple chances in the final goal. Yeah, and didn't put it on target. <laughs> like it's just stuff you would not expect from from um, someone of his experience, right, and his talent. So. I think I, I don't want to say that necessarily Barcelona were lucky because Tostegan had to play very very well. Like he he did play well. He didn't. It wasn't luck that he made those saves. So, um, but they they have to be fortunate to get out of there with a draw um, when they arguably were outplayed. Yeah. Um, in terms of chances created, Barcelona were 100 percent outplayed for majority of the game. I don't want to say the whole game, but a majority of the game they were outplayed. And I think the interesting part is, yes, Ter Stegen had a world-class game. Um, should he be Germany's number one goalie? Of course, yeah, but that's not my decision. It's irrelevant. But what I thought was interesting is that for the first time in a while, I didn't have a problem with this midfield and the way that they gelled together. This was yeah. the same midfield that we saw the weekend against, um, oh my God, Valencia. <laughs> but... Um, but they, they played very well, and Artur played a full 90 minutes, which was great because he hasn't played a full 90 minutes in a very long time for Barcelona. And on top of that, I thought they actually got forward very, very frequently. Um, the only problem was you isolated Griezmann on the wing, 
He played Ansu Fati on the wrong wing, which didn't suit his strengths very well, so he was isolated. And you left Suarez and his Lukaku-esque touch in the middle against two center backs in which Mats Hummels had a great game. So you didn't leave a lot of opportunities there to actually put shots on goal, um, which was a huge problem. And I'm very, very interested to see how this works out this upcoming weekend against Granada because I don't think there's a a perfect solution for fitting Messi, Suarez, and Griezmann together. And we saw at the end of the game... I I, I totally agree. That's what that's Yeah. From the minute from what we talk about, that's my... I don't see how he fits... I don't see how Griezmann fits into that front three. It doesn't make any sense. The only way that I could see him fitting is, is if Suarez is on the bench. And, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And which which I would be okay which, with seeing. Yeah. Like I I'm fine with that. But at the same time, then you need someone to be that other winger, which I'm assuming would be Dembélé when he comes back. He's now fully fit. Um. Or I guess Ansu Fati at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the natural successors. But again, I just want to re- reiterate, I was not impressed with this game at all from Barcelona. And I think when I don't want to be like a Barcelona Twitter fan that just says. X, Y, and Z like needs to go. But when Rakitic came on, I had an aneurysm. Like I actually wanted to go to the hospital because every time his positioning is usually trash, but it wasn't terrible this time. Every time he played a forward pass, it was picked off. It was a bad pass and we lost the ball. (laughs) And, or the other alternative is passing it back and we recycle the play all over again. And it's Liverpool 2.0. When he came on, we lost the ability to go forward because him and Messi came on at the same time. Messi was dropping back to do what Rakitic couldn't. Like we all have always seen like last season, almost the season before. So whatever. That's my Barcelona rant. Rakitic needs to stay on the bench and I'm genuinely okay with that. Yeah. So it's still a decent start for them. Um, in the other match we saw Inter fall behind to Slavia Praha. Um, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty, very good goal. From from Bra and they they honestly could have been two 0 up. They um, really could have, yeah. They could have been two 0 up late in the second half, um, and just did not finish. And Inter gets a very late late goal to salvage a point from this, but that's a huge missed opportunity for them. A huge missed opportunity. The only like for these three teams of Inter, Barcelona, Dortmund, you if you want to make it out of this group, you have to get six points against. You have to. That's it. Like, I don't expect. You can't expect. Um, if you're into, you can't expect that Barcelona and Dortmund are not going to be able to win at home against Raha. That's the real thing. Because even going to uh, Slavia Praha will be difficult too. Because you know, whatever these Eastern going to Eastern Europe for these um, for these matches, long travel, hostile fans. Those are always tricky away games so like you that's going to be difficult no matter what so you have to pick up these six points and this is not a good way to start off the campaign no not at all and it's it's not even like like i can sit here and say oh inter was just super unlucky yeah they did not even out i can't even say they outplayed them no they 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 didn't they didn't and i shout out to slavia praha um you guys are are Keep yourselves alive. Everyone's on even points at the end of match day one. And so maybe, just maybe, they have a fighting chance. Realistically, no, probably not. But, like, I think the the people that suffered the most here were Inter. Like you said, th- this is three points that they need to pick up if they wanted a fighting chance of finishing in the top two spots. 
But this is a very, very bad start for them. So I, I think this is one of the reasons why I don't think I can see them going through. Yeah. No, no I mean, again, you don't expect Praha to make it out, but they're going to spoil someone. <laughs> and, and, they, and it yeah. might be and it might be Inter after this result. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was Group F. So moving on to Group H. You want you want to talk about it? Uh, you you want, you want me to start because you know what I said about this a week ago, and I told you that Valencia were going to come through at the bridge. But that's fine. Continue. Okay. Again, I can, I'll explain. When we talked about this, I said I will not be afraid of Valencia or. Um, oh right, you should be more afraid of Lille Ross Barkley or Lille. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Valencia or Lille coming to Stanford Bridge and winning. I, with the caveat being, yeah, they might still get a draw or win, but I'm not going to be afraid. And at no point in this game was I afraid that Valencia were going to score because they created zero chances outside of a couple set piece chances. And obviously, the one goal is a set piece goal. But outside of that, they they. They created very few chances, but at the same time, I'm not going to say that Chelsea were 10 times better than them. I, I thought I thought that Chelsea did enough to, they did enough, they should, they, they did enough to at least get a point, but they should have, um, they should have won that game. They, they, with, with how the chances were, the expected goals of that game was Chelsea at a 2.1 and Valencia at 0.9. So, you know, the, the, the quality of chances were were good, but they weren't clinical enough. They weren't clinical enough. Um, Mount goes out uh, injured early in that game. Um, on what, a, what did you think of that tackle, actually? Because I don't I, think it's I, a red. It's not a red. Yeah. It's not a red. It, it, I generally – he generally – Coughlin uh, – Francis Coughlin, a former Arsenal player, um, he doesn't see Mount. He's – I think a yellow was, was exactly what it was. He doesn't see Mount um, – his boots not that high. It's at the ankle area. It's not at like his shins or something like that. So it, I, I don't think it's a red. I don't think it's a red at all. Um, I was fine with it in the moment. Um, but you know, he ends up turning his ankle and then he has to come out of the game. Um, and then that brought on Pedro and, <laughs> and Pedro and William on the same on the pitch together that's like no no chances are created. Like the the amount of sideways and backwards dribbling that happens when those two are on the field together. Pedro is amazing at dribbling from his own eighteen back to where the fucking defensive line is. He's amazing at, at just escaping tackles when he's going backwards, but but, but not very really aggressive at going forward when he has the ball. Right. Um, and I think I think is I I still like I like Pedro too in a sense. I think he's a nice player, but I think having him and Willian when they're on together, you get almost zero chances um, created because neither of them are going to contribute very much. And you know, Mount Mount is very important to the team because he's very very direct, and obviously being a very young player too, like he's going to have more energy in terms of pressing and whatnot. So that that was a tough part. The tough the tough thing was was just that they they created the chances. Um, or they got into the positions and didn't finish off chances or didn't get the final ball right. 
Um, that was the most disappointing thing because I thought they defended actually very well for mo- for basically except the set pieces. Like, it, it was somewhat similar to Juventus. Um, I mean, it's a good goal from from um, from Rodrigo. Um, it's a great set piece goal from them. I mean, great pass from Parejo, and then a great a good finish from Rodrigo. And that's and the team just learned a lesson in in terms of Champions League. That that was a very you know, that's a great European result. That's what you do. You go away and you just try to... Oh, I, I honestly thought you meant for Chelsea for a second. I no, was like, no, oh, no, you're for Valencia, for Valencia. No, no, no. That's a great European result. You, you go away and you just try to be solid at the back and pick your chances, take your chances when they come. And they, and they did that. And, um, and Chelsea has a chance to get a point out of it at the end. With the help of VAR, heart, which is, I, I, I still just, that was still I still hate that handball call because the guy because it's it's how whatever it's how they're gonna call it. Um, even as a Chelsea fan, as soon as I saw the replay, of it, I was like, oh, they're gonna call that. They're absolutely gonna call it. It's like I, I'm gonna hate it. like it's bad, but they're gonna call that. I was yeah, like, they're yeah. obviously gonna call that. Um, and then just to touch on the the whole uh, penalty thing here. So, obviously, in the moment, it looked very weird because <laughs> as soon as the penalty is given, my first thought was, oh, okay, William. And then I was like, oh, no, wait, Jorginho's still on the field, so it's actually probably going to be him. And then I saw Ross Barkley going up to it. I was like, <laughs> wait. <laughs> like, there's no way. And then I saw how confident he was. <laughs> like, no, no. He Let was me. really, I was like, you're really calm and confident for someone that I don't think you're supposed to be taking this penalty. <laughs> and, and like, he actually, he, he, he like hypnotized me into thinking that it was going to be okay. I was like, all right, well, screw it, man. You look really calm. You look, you look like you, you're supposed to be on this. Like you look really, really confident about this. So 50, 50, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously there's all the, I mean, People were saying like uh, Jorginho and William like um, which were, may have like made things worse for him and stuff. Uh, Jorginho actually he does go up to him because he because maybe he thought that he was saying it, but whatever. But he goes up to him and as soon as he realizes that uh, Barkley is calling while saying I'm gonna take it, he he daps him up. And just like he dabs him up and just says, "All right, you're good. All right, you got it." Whereas Williams still stands there for another like two minutes and is just like looking at him. He's like, "Are you sure?" He just keeps like, "It's like, are you sure?" Yeah. <laughs> he just keeps saying, "Are you sure? You sure? You sure, bro? Really?" And like bends down, lifts up his lifts up his socks and just like like play around this shit bad. It's like right next to the penalty spot. And stuff. And, like uh, so, it was a mess. And then. Of course he hits the crossbar. I mean, of course it hits the crossbar. It was a good, powerful but, shot. Yeah, I mean, crossbar, like, it just it was... hits the crossbar. So it was like, of course, of course. This is this is the lesson that the team's going to have to learn. I guess if you don't finish away, finish your chances. This is what can this is what can happen when you play another. Uh, this is not like we weren't we weren't playing like it wasn't like Southampton that we were playing. You know, so so you know you gotta you have to finish your chances on these European nights. But what were, what were your thoughts on it? Go on. No, I mean, here's the thing. I agree with you entirely on the penalty. Like, my thought process was literally like, oh, 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 <laughs> from, like, the one player to the next. Yeah. And so, I mean, I agree with you. Hindsight's twenty twenty though, at the same time. And I think the bigger issue for Chelsea is 
finishing off those chances and being clinical. So I think that's what they should worry about rather than Ross Barkley. Um, he's going to be a scapegoat, right? But at yeah. the same time, like I think Frank Lampard's smart enough to re- recognize what they did well and what they didn't. Yeah. And so I think he will at least attempt to make those corrections going into the next Champions League game for them. Um, on the Valencia side, because that's where I can really yeah. offer my thoughts. What a, a great result for... Uh, manager just oh second game. I mean, especially after what happened over the weekend, huge, and, and the papers huge. were killing him, and and then you saw the papers right after this game in Spain. Yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, Marcelino was pretty much a scapegoat again, right? Mm-hmm. And Peter Lim was like, "Nah, I'm not feeling it anymore," and so just cut him pretty much. Even though, I mean, it's a whole political thing, and yeah, I don't want to get so, into it. So yeah, so go all right, go on. No, I was. I mean, I was just gonna say this game was like. The, it just showed how good this team actually can be. Because I think right now in La Liga, the fourth spot is kind of up for grabs because I think Sevilla are doing really well and they might be a, a top-four team. Um, I'm worried about Real Madrid. But Valencia is right up there in, in terms of team quality. And the fact that they were able to keep Rodrigo around this season instead of letting him go to Atleti like they almost did is, like, the biggest signing of the summer in La Liga for them. Or, in general. Like, I mean, yeah. obviously, money is a different thing. But in terms of importance to the team, yeah. th- he's, like, he's their Suarez, right? Like, he's their Diego Costa, whatever you want to call it. Like, if you lose him, you lose a lot of striking force. So, this just showed how important that he still is to this team and at what he can offer. So, yeah. I was impressed. So, for, for the people that are not um, very familiar with the Valencia situation, you want to give just a short little... Thing on what on what happened, what yeah. why their coach was forced out after winning the Copa del Rey right. <laughs> and qualifying for Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, long story short, uh, Peter Lim is the chairman and owner of Valencia, and Marcelino was their coach last season, um, who was just sacked this past weekend. Um, basically, over the whole thing has been over um, Marcelino's. I guess, disagreement with Peter Lim over transfers. Um, most notably, Rafinha from Barcelona to Valencia. He wanted to get him. Peter Lim um, called off the transfer. Um, and so, basically, there's just been this huge divide. And it's been very political because Marcelino, I think, in his eyes, kind of feels as though almost the reason why he was sacked was for winning the Copa del Rey because he essentially like made Valencia look good in some sense. And Peter Lim... I think in his eyes wants the credit for a lot of things and didn't really get it. Um, and so that's kind of why he was axed. Long story short, Marcelino and the Valencia fans on top of that are not happy at all with Peter Lim and kind of want Peter Lim to go as well. Um, so that's where they're at. And for them to go from Marcelino's firing, losing 5-2 at Camp Nou, and then turning around and winning 1-0 Sanford Bridge is a ridiculous week for Valencia fans. Yeah, and then and, um, so in the other game, we saw uh, Ajax and Lille. Saw Ajax dominate Lille with a three 0 win, um, with uh, token very good performance from uh, right back Sergio Dest, Serginho Dest, American international for now actually because he's not cap tied yet. And I just read something today that the um, the Dutch Football Federation are going to speak with him soon about basically what their plans are. What, I guess, how he might fit into their team in the future, and then he will most likely make his decision um, in terms of the Netherlands and uh, and the U.S. national team. 
in the next few weeks. But you know, a dominating performance, a dominating performance from Ajax, and they, like, I mean, we, I think we both think that they're going to win the group. Um, seems that they have not missed a step too badly, too much from losing um, those two uh, phenomenal players over the summer uh, in Delict and De Jong. Um, it's a great result, a good, yeah. I mean, a, a strong result. They really dominated Lille, and uh, no, I, I guess nothing else to say. Yeah, I mean, and here's the thing. People kind of ask who's going to be the new Ajax this year, but I have no reason to think it's not going to be Ajax again because they're showing their quality day in and day out, right? And so... Like I said, I expect Valencia and Ajax to go through at the end of the day. Um, and so this is just one step closer to that goal. Um, but, yeah, I'm impressed with them, and they'll keep on keep on chugging along. Um, coach is still there and still very, very strong tactically and, what he, and, and understands what he wants to do and has the players to do it, so I have no reason to doubt them. Um, we've been talking for a while, so I think after a little bit, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with a little bit of Group B, C, and G action and then we'll wrap up with three of our standout performances from this week all right ladies and gentlemen we are back from our quick break we talked for like 45 minutes that was a long time so um we wanted to dive right back in and talk some uh, uh, some Group B, Tottenham, Olympiacos, Bayern, and how do you pronounce this team's name? I guess Krevena. Krevna? Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, well, that's what we're going to run with. <laughs> that's a good team name. Um, Tottenham, Olympiacos, tying 2-2. Tottenham going up 2-0, and in the most incredibly Spurs way. They find a way to go down 2-2. I will say, credit to Olympiacos. I I, I mean, we both kind of agreed that Olympiacos in Greece is a tough place to go. Yeah. Um, and I've, you know, I said Barcelona's record there as well is not great. So, I'm not surprised. Um, but man, this is... You can't start like that. Yeah, that's... that's I mean, let, let's put it this way. Two or three days ago, if you ask um, Pochettino, or if you ask Spurs fans, actually, if you ask Spurs fans, you would have most likely they would have most likely taken a point from this game, right? Because they'll expect to beat Olympiacos back at White Hart Lane, um, but it's just obviously the manner of getting the point, right? Going up two 0 and then you know losing that lead and never really looking like they were playing better than Olympiacos. Because that first goal that Tottenham scores is against the run of play completely. Um, Olympiacos came out and played very well in the first half, and then played very well in the second half too. Oh, yeah. um, especially they get that they, they go up to nil a, a great uh, first off the penalty scored by Harry Kane, and then um, great goal from Lucas Mora, a great like half volley. Um, they have some just outside the eighteen, puts them up to nil. And from there, you think, all right, well, they haven't started that well, but they're up to nil, and they and you know just manage it from this point on, right? Um, but you know, Olympiacos kept coming at them, especially the the, the uh, goal scorer Podence, who was great throughout the entire game. Um, he and and uh, former French international Mathieu Valbuena, Valbuena, were, baby. yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were both great. They were both great. They caused a lot of problems on the wings for Tottenham, which is still the 
still their most vulnerable places, their fullbacks. Shockingly, um, Walker Peters just doesn't get the time that he deserves with with such a ravaged fullback position. Right. I, I so I I'm not a massive fan. I'm not really a fan of of um, of Walker Peters. I think he's maybe not ready physically yet because he's somewhat small and um, not like outstandingly quick. So I think people get around him fairly easily. Um, but like in this game, they started they started uh, Davison Sanchez on the right again, a right back, um, as he did against Arsenal, which worked kind of. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible for the, for the, you know obviously they're missing people at right back. They're they're you know they could place. He did uh, get overrun a little. Yeah, bit. yeah. So you know did okay for he's doing okay for having to play out of position basically. Yeah. Um, but then Ben Davies, I mean, a name I haven't heard in a while. It's a crazy thing that this team is still, as a squad, relies on Ben Davies to come in and and like fill in at times. And like, granted, he has he has an assist on this on the second goal on Moore's goal, um, and he does well uh, attacking wise on that. But you know, they're. In terms of trying to take steps to become like a team that could legitimately challenge for the Premier League title, that could consistently challenge for like the semifinals of um, Europe, and so have someone that you rely on as Ben Davies in in terms of like a squad player, like it's that's that's damning pretty much. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, they just got they just. They didn't really keep their composure after, especially, you know, you give up that goal right before halftime to make it 2-1, and then everything turns after that. And they had a couple chances. They had a couple chances to actually score in the second half. Um, Deli Ali comes close and gets saved. And a couple times where um, you see Kane getting frustrated because they, they just didn't square a ball to him in the box. Um, so, so, so. You know, they obviously will probably feel like maybe they could have um, scored a third goal. But, you know, it's it's not too disappointing overall. Like, the performance is slightly disappointing, obviously, to be where they were um, 40 minutes in up 2-0 and then not be able to um, come over three points. But, you know, the result is, the result is fine. They're going to expect to win their games at home against um, the likes of Olympiacos and Kervna, so... Yeah, yeah. I mean, that pretty much sums it up. Byron played Krevna this week and, well, pretty much ran them over. Um, if you look at the goals, I mean, it just shows the difference in quality um, really, really well, actually. Um, I thought the first goal was fantastic. And just overall, I think that was the most well-scripted game that we could have predicted going into this week. Um, Byron coming out with three, 3-0 three win. Um, Coutinho had a pretty good game. Yeah, um, positive was, start. Yeah, good start. Um, he was interviewed um, by a Brazilian reporter, I believe, after the game, and you know he was, <laughs> he's quoted saying something along the lines of, "Yeah, I don't really think about Barcelona now." So, I mean, I'm happy things are working out for him, but also screw you. So, <laughs> no, but uh, but all the lo- best of luck to him. Uh, I know it didn't work out too well, but yeah, Bayern getting off to a, a good start as well. So, Group C. Dynamo Zagreb and your boys at Atalanta. Um, rough start for the uh, the Italians. Yeah, wow. I mean, this this 
on a obviously on a smaller level, this is a pretty big shock. Um, in terms of this first match day, it's, they were down three nil at halftime. Yeah, um, just got completely outplayed. I, it, it's very. Uh, that was pretty concerning. That was pretty concerning. I mean, obviously, this is Atalanta's first time in the Champions League. Um, so, But they're a good Italian they're a good, side. Yeah, yeah. They, they shouldn't be losing 4-0. Let's just put it that way. No. They should not be losing 4-0 whatsoever. This is um, – yeah, this is – Zagreb's one of their – obviously one of their best Champions League wins in a very long time. Um, and it's the first time – I believe I, I read it's the first time that they started the um, the group stage with a win – in like two decades at least, I think it was like oh, wow. two, in like twenty years. Yeah, so it's a great start for them, and that puts Atalanta in a hole, especially because you know their their group. They still have to go to uh, to Manchester City. They still have to go to Shakhtar and try to pick up points in there, and and those are going to be tough games to win away if you're not going to be able to pick up anything against um, Zagreb. Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be a very tough hole for Atalanta to dig themselves out of. Um, any result like this is gonna be pretty bad, uh, right? And so you only have City and Shakhtar coming up, um, both of whom. Okay, City obviously we know about and their dominance. Shakhtar is not a pushover side, and if you just lost as a Greb four zero, I'm not very confident in you going forward. Which is again part of why I chose City and Shakhtar to get out of this group because I. I think in Europe it's a little different for Atalanta, although they've been pretty decent in Italy so far, um, especially last season, mm-hmm. um, right? But I'm not so convinced that they can manage between two competitions, especially one of their first times around. Yeah, 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 and that and that might be really the the um, reason that they may not make it out of the group. They're right. you know first time in the Champions League for for this club, and you know they're not a team that spends. A lot of money year to year and stuff. So, yeah. so it's really going to test their um, test their squad depth, and it's going to make things tough for them on both fronts. But you know, obviously, in the other game, we see City just rebound from from their disappointing result over the weekend against Norwich and easily win against Shakhtar three 0 It was very comfortable, stuff. very comfortable, very straightforward for them. Um, yeah, it's what, it's what you would have expected. It was a great way to bounce back, and from minute one, they were all over them. Um, yeah. And, you know, just another another good performance. Of, good to see uh, Jesus come in and get a goal as well. Yeah, seriously. I think he kind of needed it, mm-hmm. especially on, on the city side, not necessarily the Brazil side. Right, right. He, he played well. Um, Bernardo Silva, um, also, I believe. He, he came on as a uh, sub. He came on, but yeah. I guess the... Um, Mares started, which was a good good start for him. Right. He got he got the that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, not um. Well, Bernardo Silva did actually have a good game once he came on, but Mares especially um yeah. shined. He very, needed very it too. Well. He needed yeah because for the he's the guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He needs to he needs to take his chances when he gets starts in this because he's it's it's obviously he's the odd man out in terms of the wingers, right? So. He needs to take his chances. <laughs> Which is really nice to say that you can bring in Mares when yeah. you don't have other options. But I think the biggest story from this is we saw Fernandinho come in and play center back. Yeah. In this game, next to Otamendi. That's where they're at. That is lit- And John Stones now is out for what, five weeks? For, yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. So um, I think I sent I sent Rian this the video of the, the bus driver. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That looks like Pep Guardiola <laughs> trying to convince <laughs> other people to play uh, center back. That's pretty much where they're at because – 
Otamendi, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, Fernandinho, not a center back. And then outside of that, with Phil Foden. If like, either of those guys, yeah, yeah, that's the thing now, though. If either of those guys picks up an injury, even for like two weeks, one week, even for, yeah. let's say even for two Premier League games. Yeah. Or one Premier League game and one Champions League game, they're... they're you're going. To, you're moving. To I don't back know. Three. I don't know who you're. Who you're playing. I mean, they'd have to probably play Kyle Walker as center back again. And he he only played center back when they played in the back with the back three. Right. So I don't know what the I'm. I don't know what what happens if someone gets injured for them. Which is genuinely um, why I think that they might move to a back three if one of them something happens. They're going to have to rest and rotate. They can't play every four days consistently. Yeah. This so is, this is going to be tough as is with just Fernandino Otamendi, exactly. basically as your only center back. Exactly, and one of whom is not a center back. Yeah. So good luck to Pep because uh, I'm not a technical genius, but uh, he is, so <laughs> <laughs> he can figure it out. Um, but we'll see. So that was Group C, and our last group before we wrap up is Group G, Leipzig and Benfica. Leipzig doing pretty well against a decent Benfica side. Obviously lost Jao Felix. Um, but that was that was an important win for them. They're yeah. top of the group now. Um, yeah. And we do, you know, kind of expect them to do well. Yeah. Uh, but this is this is a good start. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of, oh, definitely. You know, another um, – they get a 2-1 win away to Benfica, which is uh, – like they needed to get – it's a great sign for them to get the full three points because, I mean, as, as you probably guess, puts them in the driver's seat to finish first in this group. You know, they can um, they can definitely go to Leon, and I think Benfica is the hardest away out of the teams in that. Yeah, that group. Benfica yeah, away is probably the hardest fixture, um, and to go there and win two one, two goals from the Phenom Timo Werner, just great, great striker. Such. It's, just great finisher, um, so that's a huge that's huge for them and puts them on top of the group. Um, and you know, again, they, they they have the youngest manager in the Champions League at least um, with Nagelsmann. So I'm expecting a fair amount from them. I think they could I think they could really be surprised this season. Absolutely, absolutely. I think we more Rian has high hopes for for Leipzig. Yeah. I I believe I chose um, Benfica and Leon to get out of this group. Um, but this is a good positive start for Leipzig, and I hope that they continue that form going into the next uh, round of games in a couple of weeks. Zenit Leon, on the other hand, um, squeaking out a 1-1 draw. I don't know if I'm shocked by this result. I think that this is, like, the most on-brand result for both mm-hmm. of these teams. Um, they're They're both just very average teams in you know, relative to other standards. Champions League right. teams, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a tough thing. This is a home match for Lyon. You know, they they have pretty good home fans. They have a pretty good atmosphere. They, they're they probably the more talented team out of – I mean, they're they're more talented than Zenit um, in terms of the players they have up, up front um, with Depay and was it Dembele um, and Bertrand Traore. You know, they, they have – they have uh, a lot of talent on this team in terms of attacking wise, um, but weren't able to finish their chances. They had sixty percent of the ball. They had uh, twenty shots, seven on target, as compared to Zenit's twelve and two on target. So they'll probably feel that they should have they should have won this game. They should have finished it out. Um, but you know they'll have plenty of chances to be able to cement themselves um, to be able to get through. Now, they'll probably they'll have to go to Benfica and probably get a result right. um, now, too. So, 
it, this is still the group that you would expect there to be the least amount of uh, point differential between like first and third um, or first and fourth, really. But um, yeah, this by no means is is this a bad, or definitely a good result for Zenit, but by no means is this something that that'll, that I think will um, really hamper these teams too much because I think they'll feel like they have a good chance to pick up points against any of these other teams. Yeah, I think I think we'll see these two teams especially pick up more points against Benfica and Leipzig. Um, maybe not so much Zenit, but again, especially against Benfica, but I'm very excited to see how the rest of the group turns out, especially points-wise, because they're all very like relatively close to each other in terms of skill set. And um, I don't know if there's too much differentiating them um, over the course of the next five games. So we'll see. We'll see. That wraps up all the groups. So at the end here, Rian and I wanted to point out three standout performances from this week's Champions League games that we were very, very impressed by. So we actually have two different ones and then uh, one. Two similar. We two, two similar. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, we have two similar ones and one different one. Um, we're going to start off with our different ones, and then we will do the similar ones. So, Rian, you want to start off? Yeah. Um, so as we talked about it earlier, where we both thought Dortmund had better chances and um, – Easily could have walked out of that game from the yellow wall um, with three points, but they were denied by Tristegen, who was just fantastic, really stood on his head during that entire game. Obviously made a huge penalty save against Royce, which it wasn't a bad penalty. It was no. just a very good save. It was a very, very good save. I love how nonchalant he wasn't picking up the rebound, too. Yeah. He was like, oh, it's yeah, I'll just grab it. Like, <laughs> it's like, no, like, that fully could have gone in, but all right. Um, yeah. Yeah, Tristegen had a great game. Um, should be number one goalie for Germany. Um, he is for me staking his claim. I mean, that, that's yeah. obviously that. That's I love how he did all of that in Germany too. That was <laughs> such a flex. But I think he is probably the best goalie in the world for me. That's subjective. Um, Oblak for me would be the objective choice. Um, but yeah, I, I was very impressed with him. He kept a, us pretty much in the game for long stretches at a time. Um, so that was one of our similar picks, actually. Um, you ready for the second summer pick? Yes, I know. I know how in love with this man you are, so I'll let you introduce him. <laughs> Erling Holland, Erling Braut Holland, nineteen-year-old <laughs> um, Norwegian striker, scored a hat trick in his first Champions League match ever in the first half. You know, it, that's such an amazing crazy, achievement. Crazy, crazy achievement. stuff. Crazy stuff. He had a great game. Anytime you score a hat trick in the Champions League, anytime you score a hat trick, period, you're bound to get some some shout outs. And here you are, man. Congratulations for that hat trick. I hope to see them do very big things going forward in the group stages. And uh, hopefully they could get out of this group. Um, it'll be tough, but in a, in, a, in a group that features a team called Gank, anything is possible. Um, with that, that brings us to our last standout performer. Um, this time, the individual is different for both of ours for our third spot. So, Rian, who's your last top performer of this week? So, my top performer came from the PSG midfield. Actually, for Elias and I, both of ours came from PSG midfield, but different players. Um, mine was Idrissa Gay, a former Everton player, like I said. Like I said, PSG got him this summer for £10 million from Everton. <laughs> um, just unbelievably shrewd uh, bit of business there. And he was... The best player in the midfield from from PSG's 
um, part point of view. You know, had four tackles, ninety three percent pass success. You know, he was just great. He had an eight point three on uh, who scored dot com on their player ratings. You know, he was so instrumental in their high press. He was picking the ball. He was picking the ball off of Casemiro and Cruz with general ease. Um, just really stepping in and being able to take it off of them. Uh, he was just fantastic all day and gave them a lot in terms of attacking wise too. He, did, he wasn't he wasn't just passing the ball sideways and backwards. He was he was uh, he was actually moving on to their to their guys up front and got got himself an assist on the uh, on their second goal. Di Maria's yeah. Rian mentioned um, we both chose individuals from the PSG midfield, and I'm going with Marco Verratti as my my third choice. I thought this was one of those games that when you look at him, you say, wow, that's why he's a top-class midfielder. And he's always possessed that quality, and one of the reasons why Barcelona wanted him was because of that. But, man, this was one of those games where he just ran around the same way, you know, that... He ran around and was just everywhere, covering ground. And when you're able to do that and you have the quality to, to pass the ball the way he does, to move the ball and you know manipulate the play and, and constantly be a presence, both in attack and defending, I mean, he was world-class on the day. And major shout-out to him. Very impressed with his performance. Um, I'm very interested to see how he does going forward. Yeah, another yeah. Always, always, always. He's he's always he's always a, at least a seven out of ten, pretty much. Yeah. Like he, he's he very rarely has bad games. I love him. I love Marco Rotti as yeah, a player. Great player, great player. Not getting any younger, but he's still a great player. But yeah, that, ladies and gentlemen, was the Champions League match day one review. Don't forget to always subscribe to us on Let's Hear It SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. We'll be sending out a mailbag for this podcast, and if you would like to be added to that mailbag, feel free to send us an email, theoverlappod at gmail.com, and we'll be sure to get you on the list. Yep, and if you like what you're hearing and you think someone else, you have any other soccer uh, friends who also love European football as much as we do, feel free to share it with them. Absolutely. So with that, Rihanna and I signing off. Take care, everyone. Thanks, guys.